Tonight we're in Deuteronomy chapter 9. If you would uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 9. What a great time of worship, huh? Awesome to think about Calvary, think about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And tonight we're going to be looking at God's grace and his grace to the nation of Israel and his grace in our lives as well. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're gracious, that you save us by grace, you call us by grace, that there's victory in our lives and, and blessing because of your grace. We know your grace, we share your grace with others, but many times we're not living in your grace. So we pray the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul that we would know the height and the depth and the width of your love. Father, would you be gracious to confirm your grace in our hearts and our lives, that we'd be freed from, from bondage through your grace, that we would be emboldened to face giants based upon your grace. So we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading a really good book uh, right now by a woman named Diane Comer. And I actually met her and her husband when I went to Portland to teach at Westside Church. And she has a really interesting story. When she was 26 years old, she started to lose her hearing. So pretty unique to, to be 26 years old and lose your hearing. And they, they believe she got uh, pneumonia and then that caused... Uh, hearing loss, nerve damage, and, and it went over a couple-year period of time. And she's very honest in her book about how this health crisis actually made her aware of her own sin. And she had been a, a rule keeper, and up until that point in her life, had, didn't really see this deep need for God's grace in her life. But, but through this difficulty, she was awakened to God's grace. And she has a quote in her book that really struck me. She says, I was awakened to the idea that God had no, not so much saved me to make me better as to make me his. Isn't that really good? God didn't necessarily save us because he wanted to make us better. I don't know about you and your Christian journey Sometimes it's hard to go, I don't know really if I've gotten better. Yeah. I know that God loves me, and I know that he's growing me, and he's completing the good work that he, he started in me, but I actually feel a little more sinful than I did prior. And God's not maybe so concerned with making us better, but making us his. God takes great time with uh, the children of Israel to explain to them that he's going to give them great victories based on his grace. Not because they've earned it, not because they, they've deserved it, but because God is, is gracious. Grace is something that we do know to some level, to some degree. But I think many times we're just scratching the surface. We're really just scratching the surface of how much God is gracious to us. I wonder if we could see it from God's perspective of just how gracious he is to us on every given day. He never runs out of grace. His mercy is new every morning. His grace is shown to us through the cross of, of Jesus Christ. So that's the prayer tonight, is that we would understand God's grace in a, in a greater way. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today. 
and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities greater and fortified up to heaven. Moses is sharing with the next generation that's going to go in and take the promised land. It has to be imminent. They have to be just about ready to cross over the Jordan River. Moses is preparing them, and he's saying, you're going to go in today. You're about ready to go in and take the land, and they're going to be foes that are greater than you, mightier than yourself, these, these fortified cities, a people great and tall and descendants of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you've heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anakim. If you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Victory by grace. Victory by grace. God says, I'm going to call you to face these giants that are bigger than yourself. I'm calling you to defeat Jericho that has these infamous fortified walls. And God loves to put us in situations and give us calling that's greater than ourselves. Let's think on several levels of all of the different ways that he has called us greater than ourselves. Marriage is something that is greater than ourselves because men, he's calling us to love our wives as Christ loves the church. That unconditional love. How, how can I do that? Not because my wife's not lovely, but because I'm sinful. How, how do I love in a way that Christ loved the church? He's calling me to something that is beyond myself. Wives, you're called to submit and respect your husband, and you know he's a knucklehead. God is calling you to something that, that's greater than you have capacity in and of, of yourself. As God has designed family and designed parenting, he, he's called us to something that we can't accomplish in and of ourselves. He's asked us to be a witness, to be salt and light to a world that doesn't know Jesus. How can we fulfill that? How could someone look at my life and see Jesus? The only way is grace. It's victory by grace. As we struggle with sin, it seems like a giant in our lives that we can never overcome. And how is that giant going to be defeated? How is there going to be victory in my life? Well, it's through grace. And a lot of times when we're facing the giant, facing this opportunity, the giant's also an opportunity, we tend to shrink back because we go, I don't have what it takes. I don't even have what it takes to begin to be a godly spouse. I don't even begin to have what it takes to be a godly parent. I, I can't share people about Jesus because of my own sin and, and my own struggles. And we look at ourselves, we look at the giants, but we don't look at the goodness of God. We don't look at the grace of God. God has, in his grace, died for our sins. We're forgiven of our sins. So do you think he, he doesn't have enough grace to help us in these giants that we face if we're willing to rely upon him? So what giants are you facing tonight? And how can you apply grace to that giant? Instead of going, what do I have to try to muster up to make this work? Lord, I'm going to admit to you that I'm broken that I don't have the resources, that I don't have the wisdom, that I don't have the motivation, and I need a work of your grace. 
just in the way that we were saved. We're saved in brokenness. We're saved in, in faith. It's, it's a move of God's grace in our lives. So victory really does come through grace. There tends to be some looming giants that seem to be stacking, looking at how our country's going to continue to navigate COVID. As soon as we thought, man, COVID's in the rearview mirror, all of a sudden it seems to be in our face again. And that can be a giant that is out in front of us. But are we going to rely upon the Lord? Are we going to keep our eyes upon the Lord? Or are we going to allow ourselves to be overcome in all of the things that are, are taking place? So put a name to it. God puts a name to the giant. Anakin, he was big stuff, right? Well, what's the giant in my life? But who's the real grasshopper? Actually, Anakin's the grasshopper. The prior generation didn't go into the promised land because they're like, we're, we're mere grasshoppers compared to these giants. But if we're looking at things through the lens of who God is, really, the giant is the grasshopper compared to God. Martin Luther said, one with God equals a majority. It might just be you, but if you're linked with the Lord, then there's a majority because God is on your side. It's victory by grace. In verse 3, Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. God goes before you. If he's calling you, if he's calling me, he's calling us to something that's greater than ourselves, to see God defeat the giants, we have to also trust he's going before us. And God declares that he's the consuming fire. He's going to destroy these enemies of Israel, believing that he has indeed gone before us. Verse 4, Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. So point number two is grace and blessing. Grace and victory, but also grace and blessing. God says, when you get into the land, don't you dare think that in your heart it was because of your righteousness. It was actually because of their wickedness. The wickedness of the Canaanites. God had given him 400 years to repent, and now God is bringing his judgment, his justice upon them. God does bless us through his grace, his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. And when he brings blessing into our lives, there's a tendency in our hearts to go, you know, I worked pretty hard. I went to church on Wednesday night. You know how many people don't go to church on Wednesday night? I'm part of the real committed core. Uh, I tithe. I can, I can understand why God brought blessing. I've been, I've been faithful to, to tithe. You know what was the old saying? I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. It's like, you know, I, I, God, I'm, I'm kind of squeaky clean here. So, so I know why you're bringing blessing in, in my life. And it's interesting that God would say, don't think it in your heart. 
Because those are things that we're not going to say out loud. We're not going to express our, our pride to others in that way. We're a lot more sneaky and, and deceptive. We might even give out a, man, God's so good, I didn't deserve this. But inside we're going, I, I kind of did. I, I worked hard for this. And God's going to remind the children of Israel of their own sin and of their own shortcomings. Because if we're looking at God on a business relationship and we were to stack our good works next to our unrighteousness, our sin, there'd be no blessing in our life. If God was simply going to give us what we deserved and it was some type of, of contract, there would be no, no blessing. Every good and perfect gift, it comes from the Father of lights. He's been gracious to us. Those good things have been provided because he was gracious. He was fulfilling his word, not because we've earned it or we've deserved it. The reason why we don't like this is because it takes us out of the equation. We don't get glory, and that's the way God wants it. He, he wants the glory. But when we really come down to it, we go, no, this wasn't because of my good works. This wasn't because of my righteousness. This was because of God's goodness. In verse 5, it's not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord God drives them out from before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. God's dealing with the wickedness of the Canaanites. God is also being faithful to his promise, to his word that he would bring the children of Israel into the, the promised land. The blessings, the victory, eternal life, it's God being faithful to his character. God says he's merciful. God says he's gracious. God declares that he's kind. So when he treats us according to his grace, it's not because I've deserved it, it's not because I've earned it, but he's being true to his nature. He's being true to his word. He's being true to his, his promises. When God forgives the broken and repentant sinner that puts their faith in Jesus Christ, God's being faithful to his word. He, he's being faithful to his promise. He's being faithful to the power of the blood of Jesus and what that brings in our lives when we put our, our faith in Christ. Verse 6, Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. So God's going to review through Moses their own rebellion to where they're clear on this, that they didn't get the land because of their, their righteousness. God uses this illustration for Israel of, of being stiff-necked. Don't you hate getting a stiff neck? It's just awful. I, I tend to get a good stiff neck once or, once or twice a year, and, and a stiff neck is just it's not flexible. It's not going to yield. And the children of Israel were rebellious. They're stiff-necked. They, they weren't going to yield to God's direction in their life. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until the day you came to this place, you've been rebellious against the Lord. Every day, rebellious. God's putting it very clear to the children of Israel. You're, you're not getting the promised land because you deserve it. You're getting the promised land because I'm gracious 
every day you've been rebellious out here in the wilderness. You didn't have one good day. If this was a report card, you definitely got an F, guys. Definitely hardened your hearts towards, towards the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. This is Mount Sinai. Horeb is another name for Sinai. Moses goes up to receive the law and the children of Israel create the golden calf and begin partying around the, the golden calf. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. So Moses goes to seek the Lord 40 days, 40 nights, over a month. He doesn't eat or drink water. So God's obviously supernaturally sustaining him. And very quickly while Moses is gone, the heart of the children of Israel turn away from the Lord. And they get Aaron, and Aaron's willing to comply to take their jewelry that they had received from the Egyptians and make this golden calf. And they actually attribute to the calf the work for deliverance. This calf has delivered us from, from Egypt. And this is why Moses is reminding the children of Israel. Why would Moses do this? Does he want the children of Israel to walk in condemnation? No, he wants them to walk in humility. He wants them to understand God was gracious to bring us into the land. And there's a healthy balance here. We don't want to be in a place of guilt and condemnation over past sin, whether it was 15 minutes ago or 15 years ago, but we also don't want to forget it. We don't want to forget what God has brought us out of, what God has forgiven us from, because then we'll tend to be prideful. We'll tend to think, well, these blessings in my life is because of what I've done. And I think the Lord, not to beat up on us, but because he loves us at times, will be like, okay, let's be honest. Do you remember this? Oh, oh yeah, I remember that. You remember that earlier this week? Yeah, yeah, I, re I remember that. And before you know, we're in a place of, okay, Lord, I understand your grace. But we've gone too far if it gets to guilt and condemnation because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit, I think, helps us walk that, that balance. In verse 10, Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. So special, special revelation from God where he gives these Ten Commandments and he writes it with his finger. I wonder how God's penmanship was. Did he use cursive? Right. But his very finger, he meets with Moses and, and he writes out these commands that were dear to his heart. Notice as we read this in verse 11, and it came to pass at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone and the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, arise, go down quickly from here for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I've commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. <laughs> In my Bible, I have underlined your people. When the children of Israel sinned, God's talking with Moses, and he's like, this is your motley crew here. 
This is the way oftentimes it is in a, in a marriage when kids are being bad. But hey, those are your kids, right? When they're do some, doing something really good, oh, oh, those are my kids, right? So God's saying, Moses, th- these are your people that have acted corruptly. In verse 13, furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are stiff-necked. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. This could be a tempting offer for Moses, the Mosesites. God's saying, I'll wipe out the Israelites and create a new group of people that take on your name. Verse 15, so I turned and came down from the mountain and the mountain burned with fire and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands and I looked and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God and made for yourselves a molded calf and you turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Notice that the two tablets are referred to as the tablets of the covenant. The old covenant with the children of Israel was one that was based on performance. It was based on the law. Here's here's 10 laws. It wasn't all of the laws, but here's 10 laws. If you do them, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey, you're going to be cursed. The the law is very clear that way. It, It is based upon your obedience. It failed before it even started. Moses doesn't even have the opportunity to be like, hey, check out God's handwriting. God gave us these 10 commands. What do you guys think? You think we can handle these these 10 commands? They were broken even before they were given. You shall have no other gods before you. You shall not go into idolatry. And here the children of Israel are going into idolatry. The New Testament tells us that there's a new covenant, a new contract with God that's not based upon our performance, but it's based in the blood of Jesus, where Jesus declares it is finished. And the old covenant was the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law shows us how much that we need the Savior, how much we need the grace of God. If you're not really sure about your need for the grace of God, just study the law. And also examine the own motivation of your hearts. And we, like the children of Israel, are dead in the water and we need the grace of God. The cool thing, when the church was birthed, when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost in the book of Acts, 3,000 people were saved. So when the law was given, 3,000 people died. But when grace resulting in a real relationship with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people were saved. Rules don't work. Rules don't work. A Savior, us belonging to Christ, being empowered with the Holy Spirit in relationship with the Holy Spirit brings life. Verse 15, So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire. I already read that. How about verse 18? I fell down before the Lord, As at the first, 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all of your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. 
Moses re-ups for another 40 days of fasting. And he understands that God is righteous and angered by sin. That's why he broke the tablets. But he also understands that God is merciful, that God is gracious, even in this old covenant that's based on performance. God has every right under the old covenant to wipe out the children of Israel. But Moses knows the heart of God. God had revealed his nature to him that he was merciful. So he goes to the Lord and he pleads for mercy. And he begs that God would forgive the children of Israel. Moses ultimately points to Jesus. Jesus is our intercessor. Hebrews tells us that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is praying for you, praying for our weakness, our sin, going to the Father, asking for the Father's forgiveness based upon his work upon the cross. So there's a picture of Jesus in Moses' intercession. Verse 19, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you, but the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord listened to me, but the Lord listened to me at that time also. Third point is there's grace and failure. There's grace and failure. Have you failed this week? Should it result in God's correction? Has someone around you failed this week? God listened to the prayer of Moses. And instead of destroying the Israelites, he forgives them. So go before the Lord in humility. Say, Lord, here I I failed. Maybe it's in making intercession for someone else. And see if the Lord would be gracious. See if the Lord would be merciful. We as a country, as our sin is exposed and our rejection of God, as, as we go before the Lord in repentance and confession, the Lord would be gracious. Confession oftentimes opens up the door for God to be gracious to us. Moses isn't trying to justify the actions of the children of Israel. He's calling it out that it's wrong. He deals with the sin. And when we confess that that brokenness inside of us, Lord, you know this anger, you know this bitterness, you you know this lust, this, this discontentment. And God, would you forgive me? That then allows the Lord to come in and wash our souls in a way that only he can. To restore our spirit, to restore unto us the the joy of salvation. But when we're defending our territory, and we're like, nope, I've got this figured out, or this really isn't that bad, or it's not as bad as it used to be, or it's better than my family members, man, there's no release of sin. There's no restoration that God, God brings but as we're repentant and confessing, then God comes and, and he brings his grace in the midst of our failure. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him, so I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took your sin, the calf which you made, and burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was fine as dust and I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. You know, Moses is not very financially wise here. Does he not know that this is a golden calf? Is he not familiar with the price of gold? $1,600 an ounce and going up and up in this, this crazy economy. 
and he floats it down the river? Well, what's he thinking? He knows the, the hearts of man to go after money, to go after gold, to, to begin to worship possessions. This gold has stumbled the children of Israel, and so he grinds it to dust, and he sends it floating down the brook. Also, at Tebrah and Massa and Kibroth, Hatavah, you provoke the Lord to anger. Also cites other times of a rebellion for the children of Israel. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. Moses fast forwards from Mount Sinai to when they're on the border of going into the promised land. Send in the spies. Only Caleb and Joshua come back with a good report. The other 10 spies come back with a report of unbelief. The children of Israel don't believe the word of the Lord that God is able to bring them into the land. Unbelief comes into their hearts. God reminds them of this. So when they come into the promised land, the second generation, they're like, man, this is God's grace. This is God's grace that brought us into the land. We failed at, at Kadesh Barnea. We go on in verse 24. You've rebelled against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I prostrate myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you, pleading for grace. Would you say this seems to be my story? I seem to have been rebellious against the Lord. Man, humble yourself before him. You're walking alongside of someone. They're being rebellious to the Lord. Oftentimes we want to straighten them out. We think our words are going to make the difference. And God's calling us to pray. God's calling us to do what Moses did and to intercede on their behalf that God would be gracious to them. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people, your inheritance whom you've redeemed through your greatness, whom you've brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Moses is gently reminding the Lord, these are your people. You redeemed them. They're your inheritance. Notice how many times it's emphasized your people, your inheritance. You have brought them out of Egypt with, with a mighty hand. He emphasizes God's relationship with them. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin. Don't destroy them because of their forefathers, because of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the promises that you have made to them lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he also brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Moses is saying, what will the Egyptians say? God wasn't able to bring them into the promised land. God actually took them out into the wilderness because he hated them, because he desired to destroy them. In humility, not that we're holding God accountable or twisting his arm, but praying according to the promises of God. What, what Moses is doing is he's really praying according to the character and nature of God. God, you've said in your word that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to your purpose. 
I know that's good from your perspective, not good from my perspective, but I'm believing that in faith and asking that you would work that in my life. You tell me in your word that you know your thoughts that you think towards me are that of peace and not of evil to give me in a future and a hope. So Lord, I'm believing that and would you work that that into my life? And this isn't some kind of weird name it and claim it. You're never gonna have problems. You're always gonna have more money than you need. But this is trusting upon the promises of God. Lord, you tell me in your word that as I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. So I'm confessing my sin and believing your promise that you have forgiven me. We're holding true to the word of God in our hearts in faith. Verse 29, yet they are your people, your inheritance, whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. Peter, in his epistle, he prays for the church and says, I want you to to grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he, he desired that the church would know God's grace in a greater way, in a greater degree. Would that be God's heart for us, that we would grow in grace, that we would grow in our experience of God's grace in our lives and allowing his grace to flow through us. That we would be gracious when we encounter sin in others that we could extend the the grace that we have received. Paul, he put it this way, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? By grace, through faith. God, I need to be saved. I need your grace. So we continue to walk in that manner. Lord, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I need your grace, I need your help. Lord, I don't have the strength. You tell me in your word that your grace is sufficient in my, my weakness. So as you received Christ in humility and faith, so walk in him. I want to tell you a story of two pigs, Sidney and Norman. It's one of my favorite books. It's a children's book. And these two pigs, Pigs, fiction, if you, if you didn't realize this is a fiction story. But Sidney had his act together. For lack of better terms, this is how I describe Sidney. It's not how the author does. This is my commentary on Sidney. He had his poop in a group. He's just, just organized. And the world really came naturally to him because he could perform, because he could keep the rules. So every day he would come out of his apartment and he would have his tie perfect and his clothes were never wrinkled and his shoes were always shined. And he would walk to work and he would perform well and he'd come back to his organized world and and his apartment. But Norman was very different. His life was one of chaos. Seemed like his clothes were always stained no matter how hard he tried. They were a bit wrinkled. His apartment that was right next to Sydney's was very messy. He would tend to wake up late, and when he did wake up, he would feel heavy. He would feel depressed. It was difficult for him to face the day. And he would stumble out of his apartment looking like a complete mess. One day, the same day, they go to their mailbox and they both get an invitation. And the invitation is for them 
to go visit God. God says, Sydney, I want you to come see me. Norman, I want you to come see me. Here's the date, here's the time, here's the address. And Sydney was feeling pretty good about his appointment with God. He's like, I'm sure that God loves me, and I'm sure that God is going to commend me. So he couldn't wait to have his appointment with God. But Norman, he was just all freaked out. He did not want to go. Complete dread. He felt like he was a failure. He felt like God didn't love him. So here comes Sydney. His day comes. He's up first. He has appointment with God. And God in his love for Sydney pointed out Sydney's pride. He says, you know, I don't love you because you're a performer. And actually, here's some ways that you actually fall short from these standards. And you look down upon others. And you really are, are judgmental because other people don't perform as well as you. And I want you to know that I love you based on my grace. And Sydney's world just became unraveled. He left that appointment with God going, no, th this can't be true. This can't be the way that God sees me and, and God views me. It has to be rules. It has to be, be laws. I'm good at rules. I'm, I'm good at keeping my, my act together. Norman happened to see Sidney come back from his appointment with God, and he's like, man, if, if that was Sidney's reaction, I'm really in for it. So he gets in there and has his time with God. God says, Norman, I want you to look at me. I love you. And I love you not based upon your works. And I've forgiven you, and you're my son, and you're my child, and affirmed him by grace. And Norman walked out of the meeting with huge bondage lifted off of his shoulders. And you know what? Norman continued to struggle. Norman continued to not really get things quite right and not be the best performer. And Sidney tended to still lean towards rules and find his, his comfort there. But both had a deeper sense of God's grace. Both had, had grown in the grace of God. But what's really, 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 really interesting about this book is when you finish the book and you get to the very last page and the author opens up and says, I've really written this experience about my wife and I. And he doesn't say who's Sydney and who's Norman. But one of them in the marriage was organized, was a performer, had their act together, where the other one seemed to struggle and probably wrestled with some depression, just couldn't seem to get their act together. And the book was really about their journey of discovering God's grace, receiving it in their life and being able to extend it, receiving it for themselves and being able to extend it. Tonight, we're going to take communion. And Jesus said, I want you to do this often. Do this often in remembrance of me, that this is my broken body. This is the blood of my covenant. Jesus was broken upon the cross so that we could be made whole by grace.
We're not made whole by the law. We're not made whole by keeping the rules. We're made whole because Jesus was broken for our sins. We're able to take of the cup and lift it up in absolute assurance that we're forgiven by God because this is his contract with us. We teach grace, we share grace, we know grace to a certain extent, but yet, oftentimes, we don't live by grace. We don't really believe that we're called by grace. Okay, there's these giants in my life, and I can go face the giants because God's called me by grace. He knows I don't have the strength. Everybody around me knows I don't have the strength. I know I don't have the strength. And instead of punting and going home, saying, okay, Lord, you can do a work by your grace. You can bring about victory by your grace. When God does bring blessing, when he does allow us to see the fulfillment of his promises, instead of us going, well, I did read through the Bible this year. I, I did perform pretty well. It's, oh, Lord, I know my sin. You know my sin. Others know my sin. And this was really because of your grace. It's been said often, but I think it's worth repeating. Keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christianity is not rules and regulations. It's a savior. He saved you, not for you to become better, but to become his. He wants to save others, not necessarily so that they would become better and stop getting on our nerves. He wants to save them so that they can be his. And when we get to heaven and we're around the throne room, we're going to be rejoicing in God's grace. God, you're so gracious. You're so good. You're so kind. You sent your son to die for my sins. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, would you bless this time of communion as we come and make much of your son, make much of you, Jesus? Would you remind us that it really is about your broken body, about your shed blood? And as we're honest with you about our brokenness, our shortcoming, our sin, may we experience your grace afresh. As we do face giants, giants of our own sinfulness, giants of things that you have called us to. Lord, we want to face those based on grace. And may great victories be won because you're gracious. May the giants fall because you're good, and may you receive the glory. So God, would you bless this time? And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.